Hello, everybody. This mask off so you can hear me okay. I got the thumbs up from Jamie. You can hear me okay. Get the glasses down. Those of us who wear glasses, man, that misting up just, yeah, it is what it is. Here we are today talking about the woman in the well. This message today is going to be a little bit different. You might have heard this story before, and some preachers take different emphasis. Today, my idea and my message to you is just about uh, the differences that we have. We do have the kingdom of God. It's in our midst. Uh, we have access to Jesus. We feel him. We can get his, our insurance from him when things are going tough. Um, but we have these other things going on. We have covid that's still going on, and now we have these elections. And uh, when you turn on the radio, it's at 91.1. You hear a lot of things. When you turn on to 11:30 a.m., you hear some other things going on. And uh, it's like John said, people are they have a lot of emotions bubbling up about uh, the future. This week, I joined a book club. I got a recommendation from a friend of mine to read a couple books. Uh, one of them was uh, White Rage, and I read that alone. Very interesting book. Uh, I learned a lot about the U.S. and some of its history, uh, particularly with the, uh, uh, on the political side. And then um, the other book recommendation was White Rage, and I did not want to go through it alone, so I found a book club. And I joined and met some people online, and our first meeting was this past Thursday. Uh, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where the book club was going to be. I just knew that this is the book we were going to go through. And for some of you, that might sound a little random, but for my wife who's sitting here listening, she's like, that's exactly what Ian would probably do, is find some random people to go through a book as she chuckles. So we all read the intro uh, and the first chapter, and I found out that the book club was being held pretty close to where I live, the Cornelia neighborhood where the sun always shines. That's what I keep saying. We went around, did our introductions, talked about our brief histories, people shared where they worked and what their educational backgrounds were. And it took about 20 minutes into the discussion, and I became disappointed. I was not disappointed necessarily in, in what people were saying, per se, but I was disappointed that the premise of the book was actually right. It was actually right. Some of the participants used the word bias a lot. Um, they talked about recent events in 2020 that had opened their eyes to what was going on in our country. They talked about, they, actually they talked around the issue. They shared some experiences of how they encountered what they saw as being injustice against other people. And they were very quick to mention examples about how they were active in not being anything remotely close to being racist. The group was about eight people, uh, six of whom identified as white. Uh, there was only two males there, uh, including myself. 
and it got pretty intense at one point. Some of the parts of the discussion were very, very confusing to me about uh, just that I was sitting with these people who were very educated. Many of them had multiple degrees and had traveled and worked in different organizations in different parts of the country. Uh, but the book was saying that you can go through graduate school or you can become a CEO without ever having to learn or talk about racism. During the time we were doing introdu introductions, I mean, there was, there was a few people who were very educated. Multiple degrees, and yet uh, they came up pretty short when it had to talk about their experience in the U.S. in light of the book that we were reading. There was even a point uh, where there was dead silence for about three to five minutes. I mean, it felt like 10, but it was probably two, I think. And in my intro, I'd shared that I grew up in apartheid South Africa, and what I said to them was, well, I'm always interested in division and how that plays out. So to break the silence, uh, one of the ladies in the group was turned to me and she said, well, can you tell us about your experience and how that's different from what you're experiencing now? And that's kind of the way the conversation went, is it was always an opportunity to veer away from what the topic at hand was. So I respectively said, I'd love to do so, but we need to stick to the topic and let's talk about those things. And as I sat there listening to the moments of silence and the contributions, I kept thinking, should I make a run for it? This is too uncomfortable. Should I graciously excuse myself and just never return? Should I say nothing and just, just walk off? I really wanted to, I really did, but I didn't, I stuck around. There are other differences in our communities. We have an East and West, Edina. In our story today, you know, the Samaritans worship in a certain place and the Jews were saying, no, you should worship in this place to be truly connected to God. Even in our churches, we have denominations and non-denominations. We have traditional and reformed different types of theology. And then we also have who we will hang out with and who we will not. Many, many, many differences. And that's really what uh, I want to talk to us about today. It's just some of these differences. We do have this political climate right now where differences are being discussed. The word division is being used a lot. And, and hopefully after this message, um, we'll get an appreciation for the fact that we still have a king and we still have the kingdom of God. And that though we may disagree with some people about certain things, uh, there's many other differences that we can celebrate. Verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask? me for a drink. Part of the history of uh, Israel we know from reading uh, through Kings, uh, Second Kings in particular, uh, we know that after the uh, death of King Solomon, uh, the nation of Israel split into two, and there was these two military leaders, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And it, Israel developed into uh, a northern kingdom made up of 10 tribes 
called Israel and then a southern kingdom named Judah, where Jerusalem was the capital. And what follows are the ABCs. First is the A for Assyria. So Assyria came in, uh, they rose to power, and then they conquered the territory of the northern kingdom of Israel. What they did is they deported the best of the best, the brightest, and they settled a lot of the foreigners within that land. Those foreigners remained and intermarried with uh, the remaining Israelites. And then what ended up happening is with those remaining people, which were part of the Samaritans, uh, they built a temple on Mount Gerizim. Then we have the B, the Babylonians. So the Babylonians came in, conquered the Assyrians and, southern, and the southern kingdom of Judah. Then comes the C, the Persians. The Persians came in, they rose to power, conquered the Babylonians. And here's the C, the guy named, it was a guy named Cyrus who said to the Israelites who were, who were uh, in captivity, you can go home. And so you have this returning of Israelites back to their homeland. And for some of them, what they found when they arrived is that there were people there. Um, one of those people is the Samaritan woman who Jesus encounters at the well. These Samaritans were viewed by the returning Jews and those in the southern kingdom as enemies and political rebels. So there's this division between the Jews and the Samaritans. The political situation wasn't good either. Um, there was a difference of views between the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They took different sides of um, points of view and they began to fight for control over the temple and the state. Then Israel became occupied by the Romans and King Herod becomes the king and the Sanhedrin becomes the Supreme Court Justice for the Jews. Herod rebuilds the temple and if you remember, Herod was the guy who went on a rampage to massacre all those boys around the time Jesus was born. And then Jesus is born. So he's born into this uh, rich history of being occupied, being conquered by other nations. And now we have this political divide where the, uh, on the, the Romans are in control, um, politically, and you have these Sadducees and Pharisees that are arguing about, you know, the way to do things <coughs> religiously. And then between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, there's many differences. We know from the text that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, because it says so. We know from uh, Jewish history that men normally wouldn't speak to women in public. She would have likely noticed that he had a rabbinic tassel. And for some of the language in, some of the words in his language, she would have noticed that uh, he might not have been the same class as her. And yet Jesus cuts through all of that and says, will you give me a drink? And what he does is he begins to engage with her. He's breaking the rules of uh, communication between sexes. He breaks the rules of uh, communicating between you know, different cultures where the Jews and the Samaritans aren't on really good terms. 
In verse 10, Jesus answered her, which, by the way, uh, if we go back just a second here. When she says, how can you ask me for a drink? It doesn't really go into, well, here's the five points of why I can't ask you for a drink. And goes through another five points of the history and then walks her through like why it is that he can. In verse 10 he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it itself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water again, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When I read this, I see how gracious Jesus is. He's gracious to her. Because she doesn't understand. He's talking about living water and she's saying, you don't have a bucket. The well is deep. But he doesn't get mad. He doesn't get upset and run away and, uh, or treat her disrespectfully. He continues the conversation. He knows that there's differences between him and her. And she's starting to pick up on that as well. Jesus is talking about a gift that's available to her from the God who's speaking to her. And he realizes that she doesn't really understand what he's talking about. And she doesn't understand who exactly she's talking to. And this gift that he is offering is the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 11, she says, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. You don't have a bucket. And then she's talking about Jacob. In her mind, the patriarch that she has learned about is the greatest. And how could this Jewish man be greater than Jacob? In verse 13, Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. When this woman, you and I included, accept the Holy Spirit, the deep desire you have for God will be the ability to become quenched from within you. But first, Jesus invites her into a deeper conversation about herself. He takes her from this high level of thinking about something that's sustainable, something that's attainable, but she doesn't understand. He says to her, go call your husband and come back, which is kind of a track switch. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, what you have just said is quite true. 
So now he's moving from one area of discussing things of difference to this personal part of her life. She was asking him where to get this living water because she would rather not have to come back to this well. I have to mention that a lot of the commentaries that I read about this passage suggest that she came to this well in the middle of the day for certain reasons. So we know that she's had several husbands and from history we know that, excuse me, somebody who's had uh, more than three husbands uh, would be deemed as being sinful. And the commentators were saying that this is probably why she came at the noon hour, because coming at the early in the day or coming at the end of the day, there would have been more crowds, and she probably developed a reputation. But what does Jesus do? Jesus invites her to be personal. He invites her to be honest. He invites her to own her story because she's not the one who elaborated about the fact that she has had five husbands. She just answered directly, you're right. But after talking to her about this, after mentioning it, she sort of changes her perspective and she starts to say, I can see that you're a prophet. So now she begins to see this Jewish man, not as the man who represents all of these political and cultural and historical barriers between her and him. He also directs her to a new way of worship. Now that she is established, now that it's established that she has a lot of, he has a lot of insight into her life, she calls him a prophet. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that a place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, we have these differences that are between those two groups that come up. And credit to her for pursuing such lines of questioning, because she really wants to know. He goes on to explain this new way of worship that is not via a specific building or location. Excuse me, I just need to sit down for a second. I'm going to grab a chair. I just asked Tony to grab me some water. Hopefully with the help of this chair, I'll be okay. So you may be asking, okay, Ian, now what? What do we do? What do we do? You're telling us that the kingdom of God is at hand. You're telling us about these differences between these two groups. You're showing us how Jesus has broken these rules and just simply gone in. We have this great example of history and a political environment that is in chaos that Jesus is born into. And he isn't worried. Thanks, Tony. Jesus is engaging with somebody who's very, very different from him. And he keeps his cool while continually directing the conversation 
to something greater. Here are a few things that I think can help us navigate this time in history. We need to pray. We need to pray, pray, pray. We should even pray for our leaders. In 1 Timothy 2, it reads, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all in authority. I think we need to own our stories and ask for forgiveness where we have blown it. And we need to engage and ask the Holy Spirit to help us daily. We need to engage those who are different from us with our identities firmly in the right place. This engagement between Jesus and this woman Verse 25 says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She was looking forward to Messiah as well. I wouldn't have known that unless I went and read and studied this passage. So even though there's differences between us, you know, deep down we still have this desire to meet and have a relationship with Jesus. The good news for us today is that God is sovereign. The kingdom of God welcomes all. I'm so, so very different from those folks in my book club. I can choose not to go back. But then I'd be missing something. I'd be missing the opportunity to get to know people who are different from me. And different in terms of many things. Difference in race, difference in gender, difference in class, and many other things like place of origin. Where did you grow up and how was it there? How was the climate? What's the, what was the main cuisine? Politics and genres of music. So my, for my growth as a citizen of the U.S., and of heaven. I need the perspective of the king and the kingdom. Because if I don't have the perspective of the king and the kingdom, I will keep circling around to what is my personal preference? What are the hot button issues? Who will I hang out with? Who will I not? And perpetuate any division. Or I might just wander off into my own little circle. You and I can engage with people about topics that are uncomfortable for us and for them because we have Jesus. Kingdom of God is in our midst. He said so, and I believe it. Think about our church. We have so many people who are different from each other. We have people from South Africa. We have people from Australia, people from Brazil. We even have people from Wisconsin, not too far away. <laughs> Consider how different we are. We have the richness of multiple languages, genres, 
types of music, and of course my favorite is always the cuisine. And we all get along. I know it's not always easy. Because sometimes things get lost in translation. And sometimes we're so ready to give the answer that we don't listen closely enough to what people are saying, to try and understand what are their perspectives and where they come from. I mean, think about this. In this church, we have a couple where one spouse is from Duluth, Minnesota, and the other spouse is from Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's as far different as it, you can get. But they love each other, and they love Jesus. So even though in this time there are a lot of loud voices out there that could have you question where this country is going, sometimes based on differences, let us remember that there are so many more differences that are worthy of celebrating. Amen.